Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Formula for Success with me, David Coulthard, and as ever, I'm joined by a man who needs no introduction, but I'll introduce him anyway. He is a former Formula One team boss, he's an entrepreneur, a musician, as we just heard with that fantastic intro music, which I'm going to ask him in a moment to name. He's a raconteur, he's a world-class blagger. And now a podcaster. Oh, my word. He is Eddie Jordan. David, what are you trying to do to me here? No one will have anything to do with me in the future if you keep going on with words like that. It's just ridiculous. But anyway, hello, all you people out there. And welcome again to Formula for Success. Only you could be happy with being named as a blagger. I think it's great. It was something I ever wanted. I always wanted to be achieved. Achiever is a blagger. Um, Because effectively... That's what Irish people do, isn't it? They, they remove money from one person's wallet into yours, and that's called blagging. Well, I was you, good at it. You have done that exceptionally well, and it does pain me to credit you with having produced, along with, uh, I guess, some of the robbers. You've got Eddie and the robbers. Uh, the opening music there, it's really catchy. I try not to show my appreciation, but it's difficult not to move. So David, you're, does you're, it have a title? Well, I was thinking about that because um, obviously the great uh, music that we played from Fleetwood Mac for, for many of the years that we were in BBC together, we called that, that was The Chain. I think... Along that theme, I think we call this the anchor, not necessarily the anchor from one piece to another or the anchor in the sea or whatever. Let people make their own decision. I'd like to call it the anchor. Right, okay. Jeez. You, you're actually, you, you've given that some thought, haven't you? You've No, you asked me about two seconds ago and I said, Jesus, what am I going to say to this guy here? <laughs> All right, the anchor it is, and we love it, we do. Um, well, I, I look... I've been up in Scotland. I've been in the uh, the, the motherland. Uh, what have you been up to this week? I, actually, I thought I might, I was hoping I wouldn't bump into you, but I was there too. But I think we were at different functions. You were doing something. Come on, tell us what you were doing. Well, I was at uh, Extreme E, which is this off-road um, electric racing championship, um, which was the concept of an old buddy of mine and someone who bought your property and we had him on uh, this podcast uh, a few few weeks ago, Gilles de Ferran. Sure. It was his idea to come up with this Extreme E, uh, approached uh, Alejandro Agag, who was the founder of uh, Formula E, and it was in Dumfries and Galloway. And I'm from Dumfries and Galloway, uh, as is Alan McNish, who is a very successful sports car racer. So I saw sure. Alan there, Absolutely. or we Alan, as we call him. And uh, Alan and I are, are, were both born in Dumfries, um, and we were one of the two most famous people from Dumfries, other than Robert Burns, until that bloody Calvin Harris came along. 
Kelvin Harris. He's the man. Everyone wants to go and see him. Yeah. He's actually playing at Silverstone, in case you don't know. He is. He's, He's the big act. for you, isn't he? Eddie and the Robbers. Eddie and the Robbers. We're going to sort of support him, I believe. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you can uh, wave your magic. Well, you're ex-president of the German of the group. Less of the ex, if you don't mind. Are you still? Yes. They don't still have you on the board, do they? No, I'm the president of the BRDC. The board, thankfully, is a fantastic group of talented business people. Unlike certain people <laughs> we know. Unlike me. But anyway, what were you doing at the weekend? Well, That's where I was. I, you will remember um, Tom Hunter. We all know Tom. Uh, it's his, it's Probably his our listeners don't know, so you might have to explain uh, well, Tom who Tom Hunter, is. Once upon a time, he underwrote uh, a commitment to pay £1 billion to charities uh, all those years ago, and I think his fortunes slightly changed, but I think they've come back uh, to full whack now. And he had his uh, 62nd birthday, and Jamie, who was Hunter and the Bear, a great band, it was his son's um, wedding, and they had Paolo Nettini. Paolo Nettini was back in full action with a full band. He was fantastic. But good old Tom, he has a whole sequence of stars. He had, after that, he had Nile Rogers and Schick, if you remember him. Yeah. And then on the Sunday for lunch, after copious amounts of Bloody Marys to try and get rid of that clown that was inside my head with a hammer, um, <laughs> knocking the daylights out of me because it was a rough night. But the... the um, uh, the Bloody Marys did have a help, but um, then Tony Hadley and Spandau Bally came on. I mean, what? Brilliant. how can you beat that? You can't. It was fantastic. Scotland what? was rocking. The weather that wasn't is, brilliant, but it was okay. Yeah, that is the sort of wedding that I wish I'd been invited to. Well, you were invited, but you never turned up. I had the Extreme E commitment. I had oh, to go okay. and support because the he said, oh, Where's DC? I said, I've made up all sorts of excuses. I said that you were in Spain somewhere. Little did I realise you're just down the road. <laughs> Well, look, we're going to move this along to taking some listeners' questions uh, in due course. But before that, we need one of your celebrity stories because even if it's not true, I just love watching you make them up. So have you, have you got a celebrity story this I week? I have a cracker for us today. Is it true, this one? Probably not. <laughs> but, but this one is true. Um, uh, unlike Only the you others. can contradict yourself unlike in one Unlike the others. Come on. Um, so this is a person who, about 30 years ago, I met in Ireland when I had a horse and he was interested in horses. You had a horse? I had a couple of horses and with Mouse Morris, who was a great trainer, and particularly one horse called Rostoprovich. Won a whole load of Group 2 races and uh, we brought it to Ascot and Cheltenham and it also in Punchestown, it was a great horse. But anyway, during that time, I met this guy who had moved from the UK to Ireland to live. Um, he had some connections there. And his name was Ronnie Wood. Now, Ronnie Wood is obviously known now from the Stones, but in those days he wasn't with the Stones. He was with a guy called Jeff Beck. But um, anyway, roll that on after that, the horses, and I'm in Barbados. So I always went for a walk most mornings like I tried to do um, and wound up uh, in this little bar up past Sandy Lane. And... Um, when I went into uh, this bar to have a, a rum punch, I saw none other than Ronnie. And Ronnie was there and we were chatting about things and we walked back down 
the, the sand uh, on the beach. And um, Ronnie was a great friend of um, George Harrison, as you, you will remember. And um, George had recently sent me a book called Wood on Canvas, which depicted and showed all the wonderful paintings uh, that Ronnie had made. It was an absolutely sensational book. People should go and have a look or Google it or do anything. Have a look at what Ronnie Wood is able to do as a painter. But anyway, rolling this on... Um, I said, listen, Ronnie, I'd like to uh, commission a piece. And he said, oh, yeah, I'd like that. And he said, well, have you got any subject in mind? And I said, well, not really. And we just as rambling down the beach. And here was John Magner, who owns Coolmore Stud, which is the great Galileo and all of the great, great horses. And he was having a foot massage by this guy called Bongo Man. He's kind of well known. And we decided, um, hey, Ronnie, what about Bongo Man? He said, perfect. And that's how... The painting came by me. Uh, I paid 15 grand for it. Uh, he's tried to buy it back several times at, uh, what's a hundred times, 50 times the price. Uh, I just won't sell it. It's, it's really something that I cherish. I love It's in pride of place in our place in Monaco, and I absolutely love it. Um, and he has sent us a message, but there's another part of the story I'd like to tell you, but let's hear his message first. Good idea. Let's uh, cue the tape. Hey, Eddie, this is Ronnie Wood. How you doing, my old pal? I'm glad that you and David have got a podcast going. I'm still painting. Thanks for collecting my artwork. And uh, I look forward to hearing your show and seeing you soon. All right, buddy? Take care, Ronnie. Ronnie. <laughs> Ronnie. <laughs> God, that's a man who's uh, consumed quite a lot of cigarettes in his life. I mean, that is the rock and roll voice, isn't it? If ever you wanted a rock and roll voice, you want to replay that sound. That's just so cool. Yeah, well, living legends, all, all of them. Um, Honestly, we talk about bands and, and when you think that the Beatles, you know, they disbanded. Uh, at, a, at a relatively early age compared to the Stones, and they're still talking about going out on tour again. I mean, it's just mad. They're all heading for 80. I mean, we, we look at people like Springsteen, uh, who's 74, but, you know, Jagger is at least 78, 79. I have no exact... I'll have to look it up, but I think he's in that realm. And um, his body and his shape and the way he gets around the stage is just phenomenal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I've, I've seen them a few times. I saw them most recently on their their last um, UK dates in Wales. And, and I thought they were the best I've ever seen them. I, I actually thought they were getting better. Such was the energy and enthusiasm that they delivered on stage. But look, you mentioned there um, about a chap called Bongo Man. And, you know, as this is obviously a podcast and it's audio, but for those who do uh, log on to our social media at F1 for success, then we're going to stick a picture of it up there. Uh, it's a brilliant piece of art. Uh, yeah, check out Bongo Man. Bongo Man is very close to my soul. Uh, I look at him on a regular basis. And every time I look at the painting, I see something different. Um, but he did it, believe it or not, with a, with a brush, uh, obviously, he did it with a brush, but not in the conventional way where you do it. He actually had it attached to a sweeping brush uh, because he did it from afar. But have a look at the eyes. It's just quite sensational. The reality, of course, is that you, you've lived with these people. You've grown up with these people being just a wee bit older than me. Well, I'm a lot older. But, I'm, you know, the thing is that you don't want to swamp people into thinking, my God, this was just a drama because I was trying to run a race team. But we get invited to this birthday party, um, and it's in Cancun, 
uh, in Mexico. And I said, Marie, it's a long way to go for a birthday party. But they put on a private plane for us all. Uh, Ronnie was takes on the plane. Takes the pain out, doesn't it? Hmm? Takes the pain out it when it's a private plane. It does take the pain out. Uh, I think it was mainly the reason why we went, possibly because it was all the, the less pain. Um, and um, there were all lie-down beds for everybody on the plane going out. And uh, Ronnie was there with Sally's new wife. And they've just had twins, uh, which is great for Ronnie Wood. Um, and across the way was... Uh, Glenn Paltrow was going out with Chris Martin at the time. They were at the other side of the aisle, and you know that's the way it was. Then Ronnie jumps up on stage and plays with Bruno Mars. I mean, you just couldn't buy things like this. David, you must realize, and I realize, that we are the luckiest people on this planet um, because we often push aside the value of sport and the value, particularly of motor racing. But the 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 ability in our sport to attract other people, particularly in the music industry, because it's the one sport that they like. And it's the one thing that, for example, I was in the sport of motor racing and I always liked music. So it just was perfect for me that there was this uh, interaction between both both things. Maybe at this point we should move this along to... Uh taking uh, some listener questions. And, uh, well, EJ, we've got a question from a couple of people here. Uh, one, Motorsport OG on Twitter, and another one, uh, Daniel Button. Uh, they both want to know the answer to the same question, which was, who was the best driver you almost signed? Meaning you were close, but for whatever reason it fell through. And that can be from your Formula 3 times, or it can be from Formula 1. Like, I'd love to imagine that you almost got close to signing Senna. Well, um <sighs> Why did you mention him? Because that's exactly who I'm going to talk about. 1982. Um, 1982, I had a guy called uh, Jim Wright who was my scout. I did things in a different way. I had Jim doing all the junior races to see who was who could I come up with for Formula 3 because I always felt that most of the drivers, and that's why Martin Brundle came to me, um, and Johnny Herbert and, and, and John Alessi, most of those drivers had very little money. So, But I was strong enough to be able to go out and find money to support the team and then try and pick the best driver. So um, Jim Wright said to me, God, Eddie, you, know, you need to see this guy called the Silva. He had finished third in the Formula Ford Festival, so he was right up there. And then he was doing with Dennis Russian, he was Russian Green, doing Formula Ford 2000. And I went to Snatterton to see him. Um, and I remember putting uh, a mark in my eye on the S's, David, you know the S's in, in Snatterton. And it's a corner that most people can't take absolutely flat. But this guy was coming through there flat every time and he never missed this mark uh, with his front left tire. So as you turned it into the, the S's and I said, whew, this guy seems to be uh, right on the money in terms of control, understanding the speed, accuracy uh, and repeatability. He was able to do this. Um, I tried to sign him for the 83 season and I couldn't because he was a Marlborough driver. Uh, I hadn't got enough... Uh, Credits to my name, and Dick Bennett was the sort of the guru, as we all know, uh, West Surrey Racing, and um, he, he was sent there by Marlborough. I tried desperately to sign him, but Dick and I joined together because I, had, I got the Marlborough deal for Macau, and we went there, and he won Macau with Martin Brundle, uh, our old pal, and he came too uh, with a guy, Roberto Guerrero. Um, just to finish the story quickly... 
um, is that he changed his name after that race. He never drove Formula 3 again, and um, he changed his name to Senna. And then some time ago, after that, he was the one who put Barrichello into me, which was, we always remained very good friends. And um, he, he was disillusioned at McLaren and um, it was before he went to Williams or there was, he just wasn't happy in some of the things. And believe this or not, but I offered him 50% free of charge to come and drive for Jordan, but he would have to stay on as an owner because I believed with Senna in the team the actual value of the team would be worth more than double. So in other words, the half that I was losing, I thought this would be a, such a cool stroke. A, I get a guy like Senna in my car, get the, the team, the recognition of the team, the sponsorship income would multiply by an amazing amount. But I always liked Ayrton and I should have should have happened, but sadly... He died. Now, I'm not saying that he would have done it, but we were very f far into the negotiations about what he wanted to do. He wanted to have a team, and I was giving him that opportunity. I think we could do a whole whole podcast on Ayrton because he's he's touched us all in, in different ways. Yeah. And I was the, the test driver, as you know, for Williams when he passed away, and, and you got to see him rise up through the ranks and then compete against him uh, yeah. during your, your Jordan years. But, yeah, he uh, was an incredible individual. Um, if we move on to uh, another question from a, a chap called Jamie McCree, uh, spelled slightly different to uh, our, our old friend, of course, Colin McRae. But anyway, um, he is asking me, do I regret leaving a race seat at Red Bull just as it came good? Uh, well, I don't. And I was talking about this yesterday because I'd run out of time, which basically means my talent was in the wane. And I think that arguably... Uh, if I could have stopped halfway through the 2008 season, it would have saved me and the team a bit of crash damage. Because in my experience, you don't lose the the, the sort of, you know, the, the speed as such, but the need, the absolute desire to fight over every thousands of a second is what suddenly goes. And I, I liken it to... I, what I imagine a boxer is like when he's young and or when she's young and they're beginning of their career, where they get knocked down occasionally. It's part of the sport, isn't it? You, Absolutely. The, I can't imagine any boxers never ever in training or in a professional fight had to put a knee down or stumbled or whatever. But when they're young and just fully energetic, they they get up even when their eyes are spinning like you know something out of a cartoon. And then you see them when they're later in their career and they're taking a beating and they go down and you can kind of see the eyes come up and look around and think, this canvas is quite comfortable. I think I'll just stay I think here. I'll hang in here. Yeah, yeah, I'll wait here until I hear number 11 um, and I know the fight's over. So I think you lose that fighting spirit. Um, so I basically got crashed out of my last Grand Prix in Brazil 2008 and never have regretted uh, that I was no longer a Grand Prix driver. The, the money is not quite as good in podcasting as it is in Formula One, as, as you're That's finding out. I'm surprised out. you're sitting here. Things must be grim if you're in here talking to me. But nevertheless, you know, what I want to ask you, because this is a follow-on to that question, where do you think Fernando is finding this inner strength, this inner speed, this inner... Uh, he's speaking and talking as if he's 23. Yeah, I think uh, two, two reasons why he, he's like that. One, when he stepped away from Formula One, uh, the first time he went straight into sports cars, IndyCar, he did the Dakar. He he was he's got a kart track, and you see him out testing his carts uh, at his uh, facility in Spain. So 
the uninterrupted being in the mode of being a racing driver and all of the things that that keeps sharp in your mind. You know, you often use the expression, don't let the old man in. If you let the old man or the old woman in, that ultimately is what you end up becoming. But if you if you fight against that, then you keep a young spirit for as long as as, as nature will, will allow. So I think in comparison to Michael, who stopped and no longer was racing, then went and played in motorbikes and then had a crash and broke a vertebrae, then came back to Formula One, what was it, three years after he'd originally stopped. He could still do, go through the motions. He was still a you know incredible individual, but he just wasn't as good as he had been before. But he was in his 40s and the clock had moved. So I think, one, it was that uninterrupted um, uh, nature of, of Fernando's time away from Formula One. And as we saw with Kimi as well, he went away rallying. What, I've got a rallying story for you, uh, which I, I, I'd I love to with, hear. I was with the uh, the Finnish world champion, Kali uh, Romalainen, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I was there with Mika in Sardinia uh, last week, Mika Hakkinen, my old teammate, and we both were on a closed stage stage with this this guy who at 22, he looks about 15, but he's the world champion. And I, I had to go seven kilometers up this stage with him and then seven kilometers back down. And I never have been so, I trust him, of course, but it's a rally stage and it's on gravel and there's trees. I've never been so scared and so wanting that thing to be over as in that that moment. I quietly did the 7K up and then he does the thing back down the hill. When I got to the bottom, he said, we're going to do another run. I undid my belts to make sure I was not doing another run. Uh, my old teammate Mika undid his belts when he got to the top. <laughs> really? <So laughs> he could gives you he an couldn't idea. do the 14K. Those guys are so talented. They have driving skills that make Formula One drivers look like amateurs. It's off but to the be scale. fair, 90% of them are Finns and they're used to driving on ice and they have ice races and all of that. And I don't know whether you remember, but they used to have a, a world championship for ice racing um, in France with people like Prost and, and Jabouille and uh, Tambay. Everyone used to race in these. And do you know what it does? It hones your skills up. I absolutely agree with that. Something in the winter when we used to have, if you like, a much shorter Formula One series than what it currently is available. So these drivers used to do, I think it was called the Andros uh, Championship. It was massive. Uh, and you go to all the big top uh, ski resorts and everything gets closed down and they built the circuit. Pure ice, absolutely fantastic. But that's why I think the Finns are so good is because they have an ability um, with, with so little traction and so little grip that they're able to do amazing things. Yeah, they are incredible. I realise at this point I've started, I've spent so much time with you, I'm starting to become you because I started uh, answering uh, two points on Fernando and I only gave one before I drifted off to tell another story. So coming back to the second reason why I think Fernando is so uh, strong is... He's, he's angry. He's angry that he's only got two world championships. And he, that anger is what drives him to still have the need. And that's the key thing. When I said earlier, you don't lose the speed, you lose the need. He still has the need. And yeah, that but you is know, why you know, he's You can never look it. backwards. And he has to ask himself. And he has to ask Flavio. His Each manager, Flavio. Flavio. Flavio Briatore and I, and still are good friends, but have to remember, Fernando Alonso chased the money. He went to teams where he was getting more money than what 
he would have got in another team that probably has a better chance of him winning a world title. And he probably now regrets that because he's got so much money. Um, and sometimes when you look back, you think that was a mistake. And if I was to say to Fernando, if he was sitting there opposite me, I think, Fernando, you made a mistake. You've still got a great legacy, twice world champion, but you and your heart know it could have been easy five or six. Yeah, because as we know from the musical world, it must be funny in a rich man's world. Money. And also, you know what it can buy you? Absolutely. Love. Money. <laughs> love. Money can buy you money. Oh, yeah. But money can buy yeah, you love. love. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you, love is something very close to your heart. It is. I love to keep, love. Yeah. I'm feeling a lot of affection for you right now. No, no. I'm just glad they've still got you chained to the wall, though, because I don't want you going all Tasmanian devil on me. Actually, I did have a look at him. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, you are like the Tasmanian devil. Wild, yeah. He's wild, I like you, him. When you're on the spoons, yeah, that's what no, you look no, like. Yeah, no, I like him. Right, we're, we're running out of time here, so I want to quickly get to this next one from a guy um, called CGM989 uh, via Instagram, and he has come up with this point saying, both of you, uh, so I'll go to you, EJ, what are your views on sports psychologists? And from uh, this perspective of a driver and a team owner, uh, he also puts that he pictures you as as the oh. Dalai Lama mixed with Sir Alex Ferguson's hairdryer. The hairdryer, yes, but the Dalai Lama? Do you really have inner peace and you spread love? All the time, David. That's why I'm here. So I'm the calm one here today. You're the one who's wired. Uh, I don't know where you've been last night and I don't know where, where you've come from this morning, but you seem wired to me. You're on top form. Yeah, I had a great but, weekend um, in Scotland. People change, don't they? But we talk about motivation. I think it's a huge factor. It depends on the character of the driver. Invariably, we used to have a lot of young drivers. So there was very much a, a, a putting your hand around them and making sure that they felt comfortable inside the team, that they, were, they had that motivation factor. And I always use a couple of... Uh, sentences and, 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 and beliefs that I had. Um, always believe that you're going to win or you can win. And I don't mean believe 99%. It has to be 100%. If you leave 1% out, that 1% is going to come back and bite you. So uh, I, I have to tell everyone that you've got to believe in your ability, believe in the car and believe in the best chance that you've got. Of course, um, sometimes that kind of looks ridiculous when you're struggling at the back of the grid, but nevertheless, sometimes you're at the front. So it does help. I think young drivers is different. If you've got somebody like a Nigel Mansell or an Alan Prost or take it yourself that has done, you know, 100 Grand Prix plus, it's very difficult to be really on top of it, trying to tell them, not necessarily, you must never tell them how to drive, but you, you must tell them little little tricks that you might have known about other people, uh, which you learn. And I think that was the difference between, I often say, Damon Hill was not the quickest driver we've had because he'd won a world championship and he was sort of, you know, thinking about perhaps retirement or something. But what he brought to Jordan was an ability that he knew how to win in the slowest possible time. And isn't that what Jackie Stewart used to always say? I learned how to win in the slowest possible time. Alan Prost was like that. Damon Hill was like that. And Damon Hill taught the Jordan team its best ever lesson, and that is the ability to get the car across the line first. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I saw Damon actually uh, last week at a charity golf event that Mike Tyndall, the yeah, former uh, England rugby player, uh, hosts. Uh, and he was there with his wife, Zara. And I went down for breakfast and Damon, it was a very busy breakfast room at this hotel. And I didn't know Damon was there and he's sitting all alone. And I was thinking, God, I wonder if he listens to the podcast when I've explained. Well, I didn't slag him off. I just 
gave a fact from the past, which is he said he was going to punch me in the face. Oh, Anyway, he, he never mentioned it. And unsurprisingly, because I wanted to enjoy my eggs, I never mentioned it. But I can't believe that someone hasn't said to him, Damon, you know, they mentioned you on the podcast. But Damon is a different, he is a really well brought up soul. Oh, a very kind man. I don't think he would have brought up anything contentious, even with you, Davis. I would, of course. I would have wanted to punch you in the nose. Um, <laughs> but that's why you always have a helmet close at hand when I'm around. Exactly. Well, look, I love you too, E.G. Um, I think we're going to take one, one more question um, from our listeners. This one's from Dylan, who says, uh, well, it's for both of us. Um, he uh, loved um, the W Series. He loved what they were doing. He's a big fan of Jamie Chadwick, who's now racing in America. He's asking the question, is W Series all over? Uh, and what do we both think to the F1 Academy? And finally, do you think F1 and the teams are doing enough to help make female racers in F1 a reality? Well, just, just for everyone at home, um, you said W Series a couple of times, but actually, um, please explain what W Series is. Yeah, W Series it was, um, because it's it's not operational as we speak, but it was conceived as a um, development formula at, let's say, Formula 3 level to help um, support women that were already active in motorsport and all of the funding was provided through the championship. There was a sizable prize fund there as well. So it was trying to eliminate the need for women in motorsport to find the funding, which is more difficult for them because historically they've not had the same success. And it brought them to the public's attention by being on the undercard to Formula One. And I think there's several examples of people that are now let's say, household names that weren't known before outside of their own household. So in that regard, it's been a success. I'm also involved in a, a foundation called More Than Equal, and we've got some brilliant uh, team members that are behind putting together the most extensive study into the thoughts of the fans, uh, the uh, young girls out there in karting that have got potential to develop their skills in racing. So. I'm going to sum it up by saying that I believe in the next 10 years, if not before, we will have a worthy woman racing in Formula One uh, because it's about creating opportunity and developing their skills in the same way that a Max or a Lewis or any whoever your favourite driver is. Um, and that just hasn't been done in the past. Have Absolutely. you got a quick thought on it? Or I have a really good thought on it. Um, well, you tell and we'll tell you if it's but, good. Because... Um, you know, I was around a time when Davina Galitza was around and she was an amazing uh, Olympic skier. So she had a natural good feel for things, either with snow, ice and equally in, in cars. I think it's wrong to try and push girls into a Formula One uh, scenario uh, without having the previous training. The only person I think that could have done that in my time is Max's mum. Because I think Max Verstappen's mother was a serious, absolutely wonderfully quick girl. And she could, without any question, have made it, in my opinion, in Formula One. But, you know, there wasn't a mechanism there to help her. And I'm not sure many of the teams would have gone to support it or whatever it was, which is wrong. And I think that has to change. And it's so sad to see the passing of the W Series because I think technically it had everything going for it. And some of these girls just look, look what's happened to girls' soccer. 
You know, Chelsea won, they won the FA Cup for the third time in a row. There was 70,000 people in Wembley. It's fantastic, the excitement. You know, the current England team, they're the champions. I mean, it's just phenomenal. But I think something has to change. There isn't, there isn't the appeal uh, at a very young age. You know, is a girl going to go off and start karting at, at five and seven and eight and nine and go through the kind of pain that your, your son six. Clayton is doing? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's he's all over the uh, all over Britain, I presume, doing championships here and there. And you know how tough that is. Sure. And um, it's a big ask, but it's also big money. So there's not just one area that we have to to focus on. I want to see, of course, we want to see girls I- in the sport. I, look, just on W Series, I, w- I was involved in helping support the founders. And what was disappointing for me um, after all of their efforts and all of their blood, sweat and tears and financial investment was a lot of companies that invest in motorsport currently talk about diversity and inclusion, but actually all that means is they talk about it. They don't actually put I'm their saying. money where their mouth is. And, and hopefully that will change over time. For now, it looks like that chapter has closed, but the legacy will be uh, the likes of Jamie Chadwick racing in America, Naomi Schiff now, um, a well-known face in broadcasting uh, at Formula One, uh, amongst others. I wish them every success because there is a need for a championship like this. I thought the W Series would kick on and I'm hugely disappointed and saddened uh, that it hasn't. It's been let go. One other thought, actually, EJ, before we wrap this up, is you mentioned uh, the brilliant successes uh, of women in, in soccer and the amount of fans that are turning out for that. I don't know if you noticed the other night the great success, Whisper, winning a BAFTA for their uh, work in producing the, the Euros, the women's Euros. So did you see I, I, our friend Sunil and, and, and all of the, the team there from Whisper celebrating? Um, winning in a BAFTA for somebody like one of your companies, David, you should be extraordinarily proud of the people. Just like, in a way, it's a bit like running a Formula One team. You're a driver. So you're probably now seeing a different set of circumstances by owning something like Whisper and seeing them going and being uh, credited for the great job that they did. And honestly, anyone who watched the Euros, it was so compelling. But we, we were compelled to watch it because it was great football, but it was a great success. The fact that it was all done through the production of, of your companies. Well done to you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank so you please very pass much. it on to all, all and sundry. Okay. Well, look, on that lovely note, let's call it a day for another week. Any, any final thoughts for our listeners before we move this along and uh, reconvene at another date for another one of these award-winning podcasts? Well, well let's, uh, okay, let's, I just made that up. We haven't won any awards yet. Um, but we will. I've no doubt about that. But David, um, you know, we'll have to think up some scams and some very interesting stories for the people. Good. All right. Well, on that note, Mr. Jordan, thank Thank you you. for your time. Great stuff. And uh, I'll see you next week for another episode of Formula for Success. You finally got that, haven't you? Formula for... Well, now look at that. (laughs) Formula for Success. It's the FFS that I struggle with. You see, some people say to me, Eddie, that, that that's... You've stroked that, that that means something completely uh, different. Oh, some it? people FFS. think it means for fuck's sake. Oh, but we, David, we, we couldn't you can't say that, say that live on a podcast. Of course not. So we have to bleep that out. I never even thought about that. You never thought about that? Not really. Not that I'm prepared to admit to. <laughs>